And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, it's an interesting day. It's February 13th, 44th day of the year. 321 days remain to the year is over with. Now, it's also been interesting for another reason. This weekend, I was reviewing the first episode of our TV series, Beyond Roswell. The uh, <clears throat> We did that series, oh, the first uh, season of that series, almost two years ago. Finally, things seem to be coming to fruition. Well... <clears throat> As I say, February 13th is an interesting day. In 1962, Emperor Otto I and Pope John XII co-signed the Diploma Antonianum, recognizing John as ruler of Rome. See, at one point in time, the Pope had his own country. He was the ruler. He had armies. 1322, the central tower of Ely Cathedral falls on the, the night of the 12th and 13th. 1462, the Treaty of Westminster is finalized between Edward IV of England, my ancestor, and the Scottish Lords of the Isles. Uh, 1542, Catherine Howard, the fifth wife of Henry VIII of England, is executed for adultery. Those days, they had it made. No divorces. Just have her head cut off. 1633, Galileo Galilei arrives in Rome for his trial before the Inquisition. What he said didn't agree with what the powers that be wanted. 1642, the Clergy Act becomes law, excluding the bishops of the Church of England from serving in the House of Lords. And uh, it's one of the few logical laws. 1660, with the accession of Charles XI of Sweden, his regents began negotiations to end the Second Northern War. 1689, William and Mary are proclaimed the co-rulers of England. 1692, the massacre of Glencoe. Almost 80 McDonald's of, at uh, Glencoe, Scotland, are killed early in the morning for not promptly pledging allegiance to the new king, William of Orange. Well, 1849, the delegation headed by Metropolitan Bishop Andre Saguna hands out in the, to the Emperor Franz Joseph I of Austria the general petition of Romanian leaders in Transylvania, Banat, and Bukovina, which demands the Romanian nation be recognized. 1861, Italian unification. Siege of Gaeta ends with the capitulation of the defending fortress, effectively, effectively bringing to an end the kingdom of the two Sicilies. And in 1880, Thomas Edison observes Thermionic Emission. 1913, 13th Dalai Lama proclaims Tibetan independence following a period of domination by Manchu Qing Dynasty and initiated a period of almost 40 years of independence. 1914, New York City, the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers is established to protect the copyrighted musical composition of its members. 1920, the Negro National League is formed. 
the uh, 1931, the British Raj completes its transfer from Calcutta to New Delhi. 1935, in what may have been a major uh, miscarriage of justice, the jury in Flemington, New Jersey, finds Bruno Hoffman guilty of the 1932 kidnapping and murder of the Lindbergh baby, son of Charles Lindbergh. There's a lot of other stories that came to light over the years. Hoffman may have not been guilty of uh, the kidnapping and the murder. 1945, World War II, the Siege of Budapest concludes with the unconditional surrender of German and Hungarian forces to the Red Army. Also in 45, on this date, Royal Air Force bombers are dispatched to Dresden, Germany to attack the city with a massive aerial bombardment. 1951, Korean War, Battle of Chipyongni, which represents the high water mark of the Chinese incursion into South Korea. Um, the battle commenced on this date. 1954, Frank Selby becomes the only NCAA Division I basketball player ever to score 100 points in a single game. 1955, Israel obtains four of the seven Dead Sea Scrolls. 1955, 29 people are killed when the Sabina Flight 503 crashes into Monte Terminino near uh, Rieta, Italy. 1960, with the success of a nuclear test codenamed Jiboy Blay, France becomes the fourth country to possess nuclear weapons. 1960, black college student stays the first of the Nashville sit-ins on this date at three lunch counters in Nashville, Tennessee. 1961, an allegedly 500,000-year-old rock is discovered near Alancha, California that appears to necrolistically encased a, a spark plug that never has been explained. 1967, American researchers discover the Madrid codices by Leonardo da Vinci in the National Library of Spain. The uh, 1978 Hilton bombing. Bomb explodes in a refuge truck outside the Hilton Hotel in Sydney, Australia. Kills two refuge collectors and a policeman. Uh, 1990, German reunification. The agreement's reached for a two-stage plan to reunite Germany. No more East Germany and West Germany. The uh, 1991 Gulf War. Two laser-guided smart bombs destroy the Amiria shelter in Baghdad. Allied forces said the bunker was being used as a military communications outpost, but uh, over 400 Iraqi civilians inside it were killed. 1996, the Nepalese Civil War is initiated in the Kingdom of Nepal by the Communist Party of Nepal. 2001, an earthquake measuring 7.6 on the Richter scale hits El Salvador, kills 944 at least. 2004, the Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics announces the discovery of the university's largest known diamond, White Dwarf. Um, star, um, it's a diamond white dwarf star, BPM 37093. 
and the stars named Lucy after the Beatles song Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. One of the astronomers apparently was a Beatles fan. The uh, 2008 Australian Prime Minister Kevin Rudd makes a historic apology to the indigenous Australians and the stolen generations. 2010, a bomb explodes in the city of Pune, Maharashtra, India, killing 17 and injuring 60 more. 2011, for the first time in more than 100 years, the Umatiya, an American Indian tribe, able to hunt and harvest a bison just outside Yellowstone National Park. Restoring a centuries-old tradition was actually guaranteed by a treaty signed in 1855. 2012, the European Space Agency conducted the first launch of the European Vega rocket from Europe's spaceport in uh, French Guiana. 2017, Kim Jong-nam, brother of North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, is assassinated at Kuala Lumpur International Airport. 2021, on this date, former U.S. President Donald Trump is acquitted in his second very expensive impeachment trial. And also on the same date in 2021, a major winter storm causes blackouts and kills at least 82 people in Texas and northern Mexico. And let me tell you, that was a heck of a storm. Now, um, you know, over the last few shows, we've talked about haunted hospitals. But looking at a bigger picture, in actuality... The planet itself uh, is haunted in certain respects. The problem is sometimes you're too close to it to see. Um, You know, over the years, I have collected books wherever I found them that interested me. And many, many years ago, I guess I was, could have been more than 14 or 15, I discovered the works of John Keel. Got to meet him once uh, for a few minutes. He, uh, very influential in the, the field of the weird. And he was adamant in his belief that while uh, cavemen were laboring to invent fire and come up with the wheel, there already existed on this planet a highly developed civilization of intelligent beings. They built massive cities of stone, some of which are still standing. They methodically constructed giant mounds of earth all over the planet for some purpose, which we still don't understand. And they scattered artifacts of stone and metal across every continent, sailed every ocean, mapped entire globes systematically. Uh, one example of that's the Pee Wee Reese map, which gave the outline of the continent of Antarctica that has been covered with ice for 10,000 years. And then this highly developed civilization just vanished. Cavemen inhabited the earth, and they thought the ancient cities were sacred places, and as the centuries went by, they became conscious of other life forms around them. Life forms seemed to possess the power of invisibility, of 
life and death itself. And they invented names for these uh, life forms. And then, as you might expect, they began to worship them. And they recorded the manifestations of the this invisible world and myths and legends handed down from generation to generation. And eventually, they perfected sciences based on their observations of these manifestations. And in time, these sciences themselves developed new myths. The original owners of the earth, the builders of these great cities, um, even their very names were forgotten. But as man spread across the face of the planet, the traces of these lost elders were slowly being rediscovered. And science couldn't fit these traces into the, the concepts that they had developed. So the evidence was ignored. And if you go to old museums, Smithsonian's a prime example, their basements are full of artifacts they don't dare put on display because they don't fit in with um, the theories that have been developed by the leaders in the scientific field. As a result, the Earth has literally two histories. The history taught in our colleges and schools and the real ignored history of a very ancient people and the strange forces that have often uh, supervised human events. Now, 10,000 years ago, as I made reference to the Pee Reese maps, this unknown civilization mapped the entire surface of the globe. And their maps were copied and recopied and passed along from one age to the next. Uh, copies of them were rediscovered by Captain Arlington Mallory and, of all places, Library of Congress. And they became known collectively as the Pee Reese maps. Uh, they were originally found among the relics in the former imperial palace of the Sultan of Constantinople in 1929. Eventually, they ended up in the archives in D.C. Now, at first glance, these maps that are dated uh, 1513 appear to be nothing more than a garbled view of the ancient world. And nobody paid much attention to him until Captain Mallory came along. And he worked with the U.S. Hydrographic Office in the Western Observatory of Boston and developed a grid system that, when applied to these maps, brought them into focus. Uh, the modern Mercator grid system was not invented until 1559, so the ancient surveyors had to come up with their own method. And once Mallory unscrambled and realized what that method was, he could hardly believe what he saw. These maps were incredibly detailed and as accurate as the latest maps we have today. Antarctica, for example, wasn't discovered until Captain Cook reached it in 1773. Wasn't fully explored in the 1950s. But Antarctica's laid out with almost pinpoint accuracy on the P. Ree Reese maps including mountain ranges, weren't even known about until 1952. And even more interesting, these maps outline glaciers and land areas that are known to have existed during the Ice Age, before the last great shift of the Earth's crust. 
which is estimated to have taken place about 10,000 years ago. And this led Mallory to conclude the original on which the Piri maps were based had to have been drawn before the Ice Age. Now, Professor Charles Hapgood, the science historian, became aware of Mallory's work and turned the maps into a class study project at Keene State College. And his students painstakingly compared each detail of the modern charts with modern charts and found the ancient maps never more than five degrees off. And the errors were probably due to land movements that occurred after the originals were made. And many of the details on these early maps correlated precisely with modern surveys. And the results of Hapgood studies, together with full-color reproductions of the maps, were published in a book entitled Maps of the Ancient Sea Kings. Now, modern scientists can't seem to agree on the age of mankind. Each year produces a new bit of bone or ignites a new controversy. Some claim man might be half a million years old. Others offer more conservative estimates ranging between 30 and 70,000 years. In fact, one biblical historian said uh, the human race began 6,003 B.C. at, I think he said, 5 o'clock in the morning. A little early for cavemen to be up. Um, But all this... These ideas seem to share the notion our ancestors were embarrassingly primitive 10,000 years ago. They certainly were not developed enough to sail and chart the earth. And it would have been impossible for anybody to conceive or even contrive these maps in 1929, the year that were found in Constantinople. It would have been even more impossible for somebody to create them as a hoax in 1513. And it's downright ridiculous to think anybody would, could have surveyed the Earth before the Ice Age. Modern scientists have a very scientific method of coping with these humiliating discoveries. They put them in the basement of the museums and forget about them. I mean, museums are filled with such erratics, as they're called. A cube of metal, carefully machined, notched, and rounded on one side, was found in the center of a block of coal in Austria in 1885. And it's still in a museum in Salzburg, and nobody's ever come up with an explanation for how it came about. Basing their conclusions on the age of the coal bed itself, various experts have estimated it to be 300,000 years old. So who was machining cubes of metal 300,000 years ago? And how did they do it? It makes it quite a bit younger than a piece of gold thread workmen found embedded in a piece of of, uh, uh, eight feet of rock in a quarry in Rutherford Mills, England. London Times announced the discovery, June 22, 1844. And experts mumbled that it had to be 60 million years old. So who was making gold thread 60 million years ago? And who could have dropped a gold thread in England 60 million years ago? Or who could have manufactured an iron and nickel cube? You know, maybe these things were the handiwork of the same people who made the 
strange pieces of ancient pottery that have been found in rock quarries and coal mines around the world, along with steel nails, perfect glass lenses, and even bones of prehistoric animals with bullets in them. Yes, I said bullets, as in fired by a gun. Giant chains have been found embedded in great rocks in both North and South America, not merely embedded, but actually passing through the rocks. They seem to predate the arrival of the Europeans by thousands of years. Electric batteries have been found in ancient Egyptian tombs. A huge slab of perfect green glass weighing many tons was found in a cave in Israel a few uh, number of years ago. Ranks as the largest piece of glass ever cast that is very ancient. Who made it? How did they make it? And why are there still unsolved mysteries if our science knows so much? Science tells us one thing. These artifacts put the line to all the scientific theories. You take man's earliest records, the cave paintings. Scientists assert that the great uh, dinosaurs were extinct long before man arrived on the scene. But there are cave paintings that have been found that depict the dinosaurs. Other cliff carvings in the southwest show men hurling weapons at gigantic creatures that look like elephants or mammoths. Mallory created quite a stir when he first revealed his work with the Peary Reese maps on a broadcast from Georgetown University in 1956. He dared to suggest that the maps may have been made as a result of an aerial survey. Who was flying airplanes before the last ice age? Now, Professor Hapgood, being a scientist, was more cautious and Merely implied they were the work of a lost seafaring culture. The aerial survey hypothesis would have necessarily been dependent upon a highly advanced technological society. Not only would flying machines have been required, but photography would also have been needed for such a survey. So you have to ask yourself, did this ancient race of which we have evidence have photography too? 47,000 years ago, somebody carved an intriguing picture on the side of the Hunun Mountains in China. A picture of cylinders in the sky with strange beings standing on them. Russian and Chinese uh, archaeologists could date it, but they couldn't explain it. Hmm. Could they explain the drawing they found carved on a cliff in Fergana, Central Asia, in 1961? A Reuters dispatch described it as resembling a man wearing an air-tried helmet with some kind of mechanical contraption on his back. It's been dated to 7,000 B.C. Who in 7,000 B.C. would have been even aware of the possibility of space helmets and the need for oxygen? And if that wasn't enough... There are cave and cliff carvings found in South America, Japan, and Sahara Desert. And some of these pictures show giants with round heads towering over ordinary hunters. And other carvings depict circular objects with odd creatures coming out of them. Did ancient man indulge in science fiction? I don't think so. And these drawings were apparent attempts to record highly unusual and significant events. But today, they're open to all kinds of interpretation and speculation. 
scattered throughout France. Many ancient caverns, heavily decorated with carvings and paintings, dating back anywhere from ten to thirty thousand years. More than two thousand. Excuse me. Got the hiccups. Animals are depicted, including six hundred and ten horses, five hundred ten bison, two hundred five mammoths, and one hundred seventy six ibex. That's according to a study published by H. Burrell in nineteen fifty two. And alongside this impressive menagerie, there are scores of other designs that are far more mysterious. They show oval and disc-shaped objects, some apparently standing on tripod legs with ladders extending down from them. Archaeologists uh, can't account for them, at least not without committing a major faux pas of... Uh, breaking from the main stream. But these uh, oval and dish-shaped objects look uneasily like the modern descriptions of flying saucers. The leading French authority, Amy Michel, goes so far as to suggest that's exactly what they are. Now, ancient records in China describe flying saucers and mysterious lights in the sky. Usually regarded as dragons, the early Chinese noted these things flew regular routes year after year, century after century. Other early manuscripts preserved in India mention the vimanas, or aerial cars, as if they were commonplace. 5,000 years ago, a sage named uh, Maharishi Dharajas wrote a thorough description of these Vimanas, telling how they could move in all directions silently, cover vast distances, and even become invisible. This was 5,000 years ago. <coughs> Excuse me. So does somebody want to, uh, thank you, want to all the trouble of creating this unbelievable technology? Out of whole cloth? I don't think so. It was supposedly propelled by tunes and rhythms, which might be a way of describing the humming and whirling of intricate, little-understood machinery. In appearance, they resemble the flying cones that have been frequently described in the reports of um, modern UFO witnesses around the world. Now, all this sort of evidence is abundant. It's never been systematically studied by trained scholars. Instead, this material has fallen into the hands of a sort of cultists and students of fringe pseudosciences. It's been used to advance belief in everything from Atlantis to extraterrestrial visitants and from distant planet. And uh, to subscribe to any one of these multitudinous beliefs is to exclude all other possibilities. When in actuality, we should be considering every possibility. Um and accept only hard facts to arrive, at the, to arrive at the ultimate conclusion. Now, two key factors are very clear. There have always been strange objects in the skies above this planet, as far back as we have records. And they were seen by early man, and they've been seen constantly ever since. The Bible and other available records uh, firmly attest this fact. And somebody mapped the Earth before the Ice Age. We have no way of knowing who they were, how they did it, or even why they did it. 
Pete Reeves maps were the product of an aerial survey, then maybe there was an advanced civilization somewhere in the Americas or the Pacific, removed from the random clusters of primitive men. But occasionally the advanced culture dropped in on the, the cavemen, or at least flew overhead. So these two cultures may have existed simultaneously. One, uh, how they advanced, and for whatever reasons, aloof from the other, and the animal-like cave dwellers. Now, it was inevitable that the two cultures should occasionally cross and that the higher group should affect lower in many ways. At some point in early history, the higher culture was either destroyed by a monumental catastrophe or in some fashion withdrew, uh, leaving hardly a trace behind. So our entire record of that superculture comes from these observations made by primitive men who didn't understand the concepts they were trying to explain. Only evidence is the flimsy overlapping that took place, the, the residue, if you will, of the effect of the superculture upon the subculture. And primitive man is profoundly influenced by the superculture and guided by it. Even indications that members of the superculture actually appeared before primitive man and took over as god kings to... Uh, direct his early development. You know, these appearances uh, helped uh, generate many of man's first religious beliefs. Some two and a half million people believe in the Book of Mormon, the Mormon Bible, which is purportedly a record of life in North America thousands of years ago. As with all such records from all cultures and all religions, there are frequent descriptions of events in which some unknown benevolent group supplied man with direct help in an hour of need. For example, um, it's interesting to note how a compass was introduced, presumably to these long-forgotten North Americans. And it came to pass that as my father arose in the morning and went forth, to the tent door, to his great astonishment, he beheld on the ground a round ball of curious workmanship, and it was of fine brass, and within the ball was two spindles. The one pointed the way we should go into the wilderness. And that came from the Book of Mormon. Now, one of the most popular theories bandied about the cultist circles is that man was seated on this planet by some interplanetary group, and that that group was kindly but remotely observed and guided our progress ever since. Now, if this was true, they would have been doing a lousy job. I would have to submit. Need a lot more help than they have been given us. You know, for the last 150 years, we've been in a war or teetering on the edge of a war, and right now, uh, we got a lunatic in Russia who seems uh, hell-bent on uh, creating another war involving the entire world. H.G. Wells' prophetic things, of th uh, things to come. There's a vision of a world ravaged by war and divided into fierce tribes ruled by warlords. And a handful of surviving scientists and thinkers band together and begin the task of restoring civilization by flying over the planet. And they call their organization Wings Over the World. They, um... Much of the UFO evidence suggests that a, a real wings over the world has always existed. Maybe one of their members handed a caveman the, the first flaming brand and the first wheel, 
just as some unknown party allegedly uh, deposited the first uh, compass outside that Mormon tent. The uh, Someone from Wings Over the World could have handed the original P.V. Reese map to some ancient Egyptian, and after him it may have been passed from the library in Alexandria to the palace in Constantinople. Now, the, the key to the grid system was lost, so the map became useless. But it is known that Christopher Columbus had some strange maps when he set out for his, looking for his shortcut to India. It's easy to speculate and even easier to leap to mind-blowing conclusions. We have to try instead to assemble the many fragments of tantalizing, tantalizing evidence in an attempt to uh, construct uh, a logical whole. And to do this, we have to first recognize some very unpleasant facts. We've got to admit just how completely stupid we actually are. You know, there was um, a number of admissions made by scientists attached to NASA during the, uh, the heyday of the space program. And they issued humble public statements admitting our space program has produced data which invalidates many of the most coveted conclusions and beliefs of our learned astronomers. In fact, I just saw something my uh, scientific group of uh, in uh, Australia. There is something 4,000 light years away that is sending radio signals to this planet about every 18 minutes. You've got to ask yourself. Who would be trying to send a message to us? More importantly, why? You know, ideas that have been accepted as fact for decades have suddenly been proved completely false. The more we find out about the moon, the less we know about it. Space probes to Mars and Venus have tossed innumerable astronomical theories into a cocked hat. Recent radar probes to the planet Mercury discovered that planet's actually rotating slowly on its axis, even though millions of school children have been taught for generations Mercury does not rotate. Leading astronomers are now arguing over the status of Jupiter. Some suspect it isn't a planet, but actually a cold star. You know, for the past 200 or so years, astronomers have been peering through telescopes, counting stars, and making mathematical calculations to account for the emotions and flickerings that they've observed and they've been published and taught their learned conclusions as the gospel now we know that they've been wrong in many key areas for the end of the century all the textbooks have to be scrapped all the old ideas have to be discarded but unfortunately those who made their name coming up with these solid facts are fighting tooth and nail to keep the truth from coming out. You'd think they were in Congress the way they act. According to uh, Dr. Frank Drake, who was chairman of uh, Cornell University's astronomy uh, department, we used to think the universe is nothing more than a, an abundant field of stars arranged in galaxies. 
We underestimated the variety and quantity of matter in space by a factor of about a trillion. That means we're about as wrong as we could get. You know, in the early 60s, deep-dish radio telescopes discovered a maze of radio signals um, pouring in from outer space. Now, of course, initially there were wild speculations that we had made contact with some super civilization in some other galaxy, but further study discounted this idea. Instead, it was found that interstellar space is filled with invisible objects that don't emit light rays, but which do give off powerful radio signals. They've been dubbed quasars and pulsars. They constitute uh, one rather trivial aspect of a broad and complex phenomena. This planet's always been bathed in mysterious electromagnetic propagation of radio waves, some of them intelligent signals of unknown origin. When Marconi first developed the, the radio, he was getting signals from, moon, from the moon. We've been aware of these signals ever since the invention of the radio, but we still can't account for them. And just as those funny flying saucers seem to be an environmental uh, mystery that's always existed on the planet, it also seems that the Earth's atmosphere has always been charged with unidentified radio signals some of which seem to emanate from inside the planet itself, as if the Earth were beaming signals into space in response to the signals being received. And even gravity is a mystery. Newton discovered the hard way that if you sit under an apple tree, you're going to get hit in the head by a falling apple. But we still don't understand why. Recent experiments indicate that gravity is really a slowly pulsing wave pouring across space beats about once per hour. Source of this wave and its true nature, completely unknown. We thought we knew something about it until our astronauts went into space and fumbled around in weightlessness. They found that even friction disappears in space. Our Buckminster Fuller, the thinker and designer, said everything you've learned in school is obviously uh, as obvious, becomes less and less obvious as you begin to study the universe. For example, there are no solids in the universe, not even a suggestion of a solid. There are no absolute continuums. There are no surfaces. There are no straight lines. Everything is up for grabs. We don't know anything about the universe or outer space. We have in all likelihood constructed a totally false history of our own race. And most humiliating of all, although we've lived on this planet for at least 40,000 years or more, really don't know much about it. Worse still, we haven't explored all of it. Vast sections of this planet, encompassing hundreds of thousands of square miles, have never been surveyed. There are enormous regions still haven't been visited by a single scientifically trained man. There are some that have been visited by an unscientifically trained man or woman. I had somebody tell me once upon a time, um, that there are sections of, of um, I think he said Idaho, where no man has ever set foot, which I find hard to believe. Seasoned travelers are familiar with the problems of locating accurate maps. Many countries in Africa, Asia, and South America, detailed maps are simply unobtainable because no surveys have ever been made. These maps that are, are available have the rivers and mountains in the wrong places. 
And in the U.S., precisely detailed maps of many areas just don't exist. There are blank spots in Maine and even in New Jersey. The average road map doled out by service stations include only the major highways and the larger towns. Unincorporated villages, and they number in the thousands. Can't be found on any map anywhere. The regional maps distributed by the Geological Survey in Washington are often based on survey made in 1880 or 1920. So most of them are virtually useless. New highways have been built so rapidly, the average road map is two to five years behind. Travelers in inland Brazil find themselves trying to cope with maps based on sketches drawn by missionaries a hundred years ago. Visitors to the Himalayan mountains have to deal with maps drawn by amateur cartographers and, and uh, guesswork. Vast sections of the Earth's oceans have never been accurately charted. There are countless islands everywhere that have never been visited, named, or mapped. If this wings over the world does exist, they could occupy a large island in the Pacific or the Antarctic and nobody would ever be the wiser. We have, of course, flown over a great part of the Earth. Back in the 30s, Charles Lindbergh flew over Brazil and reported seeing an enormous stone wall deep in the jungle. It stretched for miles. But no explorers ever penetrated to that wall overland. We still don't know anything about it. Other flyers in other parts of the world have reported similar oddities, and most of them remained unexplored mysteries. In 1970, the United Nations issued a report that stated that four-fifths of the Earth's surface was inadequately surveyed and charted, and that tremendous areas remained unexplored altogether. So the cartographers who drew up the original P. Ree Reese maps probably knew more about our planet than we do. And despite all this, most of us like to pretend that our planet is fully explored and all of its many mysteries have been adequately solved. And we believe our history books. In fact, many millions of people still cling to the thoroughly discredited religious belief that mankind is only 4,000 years old. Science labors to ignore the mounting evidence we may not be the only intelligent life form on this planet, assuming we are intelligent. But historians have always carefully recorded the events that indicate that a parahuman race does exist alongside of us. Millions of people have encountered them, and thousands of books have been written about these encounters. Now that we're zooming headlong into the age of a future we don't really understand, it's time for us to take a new look at the world around us. Time for us to study these uh, despicable erratics of archaeology and history and think about the unthinkable. Our much-touted technology has led us down the road to ruin, postponed our, poisoned our environment, and given us the implements for destroying the earth itself. If there was a great superculture thousands of years ago, maybe it followed the same course. Remember what I've always said, those that don't know history doomed to repeat it. Maybe even the abominable snowmen of the Himalayas and their North American counterpart, the Sasquatch of Canada, will inherit the earth and 10,000 years from now, their descendants will be studying a frayed copy of an old road map and speculating about us. Naturally, there'll be scientists among them who will sneer at the, at the whole idea and they'll get back to their business trying to split the atom. You know, there have been so many stories 
and uh, each story has its own uh, proponents. You know, every two or three years, some adventurous scientist or deep-sea diver discovers Atlantis. Usually announces his find during the summer silly season when news is slow and the papers are filled with stories about the Loch Ness Monster and bathing beauty contest. Atlantis has now been located in the Mediterranean, west of the Azores, south of the Azores, in the Caribbean, off the west coast of South America, off the east coast of South America, in the North Pacific, in the South Pacific, off the coast of Florida, and even in the Indian Ocean. Recently, the ruins of an ancient temple of unknown origin were discovered in the blue waters off the Bahamas. Newspapers soberly revealed that Atlantis had been found at last, and a year or so later, a mysterious stone pillar was spotted by divers deep in the ocean off the coast of Peru. Many people rushed to claim that was a sign of the location of Atlantis. You know, this particular game has been going on for a long, long time. Researchers wading through 50-year-old newspapers have found them sprinkled with wondrous tales of Atlantean finds. Professors and PhDs have frequently joined the clamor, bidding for publicity and the sizable foundation grants that follow such publicity, keeping alive one of the great fantasies of human history. It even, it even a myth or a legend and enough evidence of any kind to give Atlantis such stature. Nevertheless, it's become an important part of our folklore. Even the famous prophet Edgar Cayce discussed the lost continent with the spirit world and passed along the prediction it would rise again in the stormy Atlantic in 1968 or 69. And I will point out that a follower of um, Casey, who was a pilot, in 1968, uh, flying over uh, Bimini, saw a road uh, leading down into the ocean, a very ancient road that led to a wall, and a number of buildings were found. Now, while the reality of Atlantis can be viewed with some skepticism, the pre-existence and the persistence of the belief in it provide some interesting facts about the weird mechanisms employed by the Earth's phantom inhabitants to generate myths and camouflage your real existence. There are many who say Atlantis is no more real than visitors from Mars, yet there are millions of people who believe wholeheartedly in both. Members of this Wings Over the World have carefully sowed the Seeds of such myths in their wake and have worked across the generations to nurture them. First question to ask in regard to Atlantis is how the story began. It was launched by a single man, Plato. In his two dialogues, Timaeus and Critias. In them, he offered a description of Atlantis and its demise 9,000 years before his, uh, when he lived. And he lived from 427 to 347 B.C. So we're talking about roughly 10,000 years ago. His source, he says, is a man named Critias, who'd heard the story from his great-grandfather, Trapides. They heard it from a sage named Solon, who'd heard it from an Egyptian priest. 
So the whole foundation of the Atlantis myth is based on what a 90-year-old man told a 10-year-old boy about a tale spun by Solon years before. That's rather like having your own great-grandfather tell you the plot of a novel somebody else described to him after having heard about it from somebody else in another country. And that someone hadn't read the novel, but had only heard about it since the novel was 9,000 years old. Incidentally, the final pages of Plato's discourses are missing, so even his record of the, this hearsay is incomplete. No scholars have devoted their lives to pondering Plato and searching for archaeological evidence to support the existence of Atlantis. Visit any library and you'll find shelves of books on the subject. New pro-Atlantis volumes appear every year. A small, indefatigable cult of Atlantean believers has existed for well over a hundred years. Uh, pouncing on each new archaeological discovery is the missing proof Atlantis exists. Ruins throughout Central and South America have been credited to the Atlantean culture. Everything from Stonehenge in England to the Great Pyramid in Egypt to the monasteries in the Himalayas have been accepted by the believers as further evidence that Atlantis exists. And, uh, you know, I started this uh, monologue, if you will, that mankind could be an offshoot of some earlier super-civilization. The Atlantophiles have recognized this and think of Atlantis as that superculture. And the psychic world has supported this contention for years by passing along endless messages about the past glories of Atlantis through mediums, the Ouija boards, and things such as that. Many of these messages have served as the basis for some of the odd books that have appeared. Surprisingly, some of the data in this Torrent of otherwise gibberish can be authenticated historically, but it's very difficult to find a, an actual pattern. Now, there are people around the world who claim to have actually met the Atlanteans themselves. These witnesses describe stately men and women dressed in colorful robes and headdresses who appear suddenly like ghosts or apparitions. People who never given Atlantis any thought at all are suddenly confronted by these entities. And these visits can last for hours According to the uh, precipitants, Atlanteans take great pains to describe the history of Atlantis in detail. And when the witness scurries to a library, he or she finds some of the things mentioned actually in the literature. Eventually, the witness uh, is going to write a book or a pamphlet himself, combining what he's read with what he's been told by the entity. And his work is entered in the literature and quoted again and again in new books by others. Same phenomena occurs constantly in religion, spiritualism, and UFOdom. In the latter, the entities uh, claim to represent some other planet, and they pass along convincing uh, descriptions of life on other worlds. And like the Atlantean entities, the UFO pilots share the disturbing ability to appear and disappear in thin air. The tall-built Atlanteans with their high cheekbones and oriental eyes are undoubtedly close brethren of the picture a spaceman who incidentally almost always described the same way. In occult lore, these entities have been described for centuries and are called elementals. The phenomena takes many forms and undoubtedly inspired the massive folklore on fairies and leprechauns and vampires and demons and a multitude of ghouls and ghouls, I can't talk, ghouls, goblins and banshees who've always occupied our strange planet.
So the question becomes, are these mysterious entities from the occult world? Are they elementals? You know, this phenomenon takes many forms and, frankly, I think has inspired the massive folklore fairies and other kinds, as I said. And they appear to have the ability to assume any shape or disguise they want to. Some, if not all, seem to be the product of some complicated hallucinatory process that's able to place false images in the minds of the witnesses. So a group of people in a room can sometimes come up with contradictory descriptions of an apparition. And some of the people might not see it at all. Now there are, of course, all kinds of psychological factors that would explain some of these hallucinations and apparitions. But it is quite remarkable that some of the messages passed along by our elusive Atlanteans are identical to messages passed along to unrelated witnesses who've chatted with spacemen from Ganymede. Uh, the same mechanism, uh, be it psychic or psychological, is clearly at work in all these cases. So what will be the relationship? The phenomenon uses, utilizes many other frames of reference. An apparition might pose as an ancient Greek philosopher or even Abraham Lincoln or deceased Pope. There are cases of all of these. Folklore of all cultures also takes into account apparitions that pose as exact duplicates of living persons. In Germany, these things are called uh, doppelgangers. These manifestations have led to uh, the creation of many minor cults, such as believers in Lemuria, which is supposed to be a lost continent that predates uh, Atlantis, and Mu, which is an even older culture. Once again, we find uh, a large part of the literature is based on the alleged uh, experiences of those who've encountered Lemurians. In the Middle Ages, many people insisted they'd visited the underground palaces of the fairies, and volumes are written about the secret commonwealth of the little people. In modern times, we have the Darrow, the detrimental robots. That myth has blown up around the stories of people who claim to have been taken to the secret caverns occupied by the ancient secret Darrow culture. And I'd point you to the 1944 Amazing Stories magazine, a science fiction magazine published by Richard Schaefer's uh, it published Richard Shaver's uh, I Remember Lemuria. Editor Ray Palmer was amazed when he was swamped by thousands of letters from people who swore they'd had experiences with Darrow's and Lemurians. They often described things identical to the flying saucer phenomena, which really didn't become a big thing on the American scene until the Roswell incident of 1947. You know, the myth-making machinery of of this latter-day wings over the world has always been in operation, and the earliest thinkers and scientists recognized it. Strange illusions and purposeful distortions of reality have always haunted the human race. Some cults have defined the culprits as masters of illusions, the black mentalist and the ex-group. For centuries, it was popular to accuse the devils, witches, and warlocks for these bewildering manifestations. Whole religions sprang up around the evidence supplied by the phenomena. In Sweden, the great mathematician Emanuel Swedenborg 
wrote huge tomes about his experiences with the elementals and offered solemn warnings that uh, you really can't trust him. Sir Walter Scott, the famous novelist, made a serious study of these matters. 1830, he published a series of essays summarizing his conclusions. He said, when the trained psychics encountered fairies and visited their splendid palaces, the illusions all vanished. The young knights and beautiful ladies showed themselves as wrinkled carls and odious hags. We're going to talk more about these strange things in future shows. But for now, we've run out of time. So until tomorrow at this time, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying, have a truly great evening.